Dr. Peaky. Welcome to the Peaky channel. Today, it's time to pique my interest. Ever found yourself wondering about the medications that can whisk away the pesky symptoms of IBS? Well, you've come to the right place. Whether you're well-versed in dealing with IBS or just starting your journey, join me as we explore a range of medications for it. But don't click away just yet. Stay with me until the end because I have some important insights to share along with a valuable tip you won't want to miss. Through a comprehensive review of the most current and credible guidelines available, which collectively span about 60 pages, I've collated a much simpler list of what you need to know. For those who want to read them, I'll leave the links in the description box. You probably heard other medical professionals say this many times, but in case you haven't, I do need to reiterate that this content is for educational purposes only. Everyone's situation is different and you will need to solicit medical advice from your practitioners who can evaluate you and discuss situation-specific recommendations. Diagnosing IBS is a complex process without a straightforward test. Typically, a diagnosis is made when you experience recurrent abdominal pain for a minimum of three months along with two or more of the following symptoms, changes in stool frequency, defecation abnormalities, or alterations in stool form. Additional factors such as pain relief after bowel movements, a sensation of incomplete emptying, the presence of mucus in stools, and looser, more frequent stools accompanied by pain may also be considered. In essence, if you've been dealing with constipation and or diarrhea for at least three months, it's a likely indicator of IBS. However, since there isn't a definitive diagnostic test, we further our diagnosis by ruling out other conditions that exhibit similar symptoms. If you don't already know, IBS is not curable yet. The drugs that are mentioned today don't cure the disease, but are supposed to help relieve some of these aforementioned symptoms you're experiencing. In the United States, the approach to developing treatment plans for IBS involves considering both the severity level and the specific IBS type you've been diagnosed with, which can be categorized as IBS-C, constipation predominant, IBS-D, diarrhea predominant, or IBS-M, mixed type. For individuals with IBS-M, treatment is typically aligned with the more dominant subtype. For example, if you experience both constipation and diarrhea, but constipation is more prevalent, your treatment plan may be oriented towards IBS-C management. Additionally, there are medications that are recommended for all subtypes, and we'll delve into those in more detail shortly. What's meant by global recommendations is whether you have IBS-C or D or mixed, everyone can do this. These are the four things everyone can consider. Number one, lifestyle modifications or non-pharmacological treatment are recommended for everyone of all severity levels and regardless of your IBS subtype. If you're wondering how, check out my podcast episode 12 where I talk all about this. If you're listening to this on YouTube, click the link to episode 12 at the top right corner or in the description box. Number two, soluble fiber, not insoluble fiber, can be found in oat bran, 
barley and beans, but also in the form of psyllium husk powder over the counter. Its laxative effects make stools less hard by pooling water in, but because it also decreases colonic fermentation, its use is strongly recommended for all types of IBS. Number three, this third group of drugs I will still mention because one of the guidelines did support their use, the other guidelines did not. I don't recommend them though since the evidence isn't great for IBS specifically, but generally they've been shown to reduce abdominal pain and bloating, just outside of IBS so far. Basically, the quality evidence is poor and therefore the recommendation level is questionable. Hyocyamine and dicyclamine are considered antispasmodics that relax smooth muscle in the intestines, which in turn reduces motility. Number four. The fourth group of drugs, TCAs, amitriptyline, amipramine, desipramine, or nortriptyline, are not mainly used for IBS, but they were shown to improve abdominal pain and diarrhea for IBS patients. They're recommended strongly by both guidelines, but quality of evidence, I have to note, is moderate. I do want to also mention, practicing in the pharmacotherapy discipline, TCAs come with a lot of adverse effects and are not well tolerated. Your IBS can get worse, especially if you have constipation already, so make sure you have a talk with your pharmacist and provider because not all TCAs work the same. Let's talk about IBS-C next. Number one, say you have mild symptoms that are manageable but still would like to try drug interventions you can begin with an over-the-counter drug called PEG. It's sold in most markets and drugstores in the USA and trademarked popularly as Miralax. They can also come in other brands and typically come in the form of powders and tablets. PEG use has been controversial for IBSC because although it's been shown to relieve constipation in general, albeit slowly, there hasn't been data to show that it helps with constipation from IBS. Number two, peppermint oil is a natural herbal known to modulate psychosocial distress and exerts antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory effects on gut and food tubes. I have some opinions about this, but I'll save them for my personal experience video. Number three, you've tried OTC stuff and the constipation, abdominal pain are still bothering you. This next group of drugs may be introduced to you by your providers. In order of high quality evidence to low, linaclotide and plakenotide bring fluid into your intestines and moves along stuff in your gut. They're strongly recommended with high quality evidence proving their effects. Lubiprostone increases peristalsis, basically moves along stuff in your gut. Tenapanor is the newest on the market. It increases water into the intestines so it helps soften your stools and you're not straining as much. Number four, this last drug I'm going to mention for IBSC is last line and is not approved for males yet. Tegacerod is recommended for females less than 65 years old only, and you must not have cardiovascular risk factors. On the contrary, one of the guidelines allow only one of the following, stroke, TIA, angina, and heart attack. 
It works by accelerating gut transit, so you can poop faster. Didn't forget about you IBSD folks. Let's start with mild symptoms. Number one, loperamide can be found over the counter and helps with diarrhea. The quality evidence is very low because it wasn't shown to help IBS symptoms and urgency. Works on diarrhea in general, but again, IBS diarrhea, not yet. Number two, Rifaximin is an antibiotic that was shown to improve abdominal pain and stool consistency. It's commonly used for other indications in the gut and liver, so you might have heard of it before. Evidence quality is moderate and both guidelines recommend it. Number three, say that doesn't work for you or you're not a candidate for it, aluxadoline may be an option. It improves diarrhea and abdominal pain. This isn't approved for everyone though. If you don't have a gallbladder, or if you like to drink more than the average, like more than three alcoholic beverages daily, it's not for you and your prescriber can get in trouble if they give it to you. Number four, the last line of defense I'll introduce today for IBSD is Alocitron. It slows gut transit and it's only for those who have severe symptoms and failed conventional therapy. Before we wrap up, I must cover a warning. Medications, although intended to be helpful to whatever causes they were approved for, all have safety issues, even the most benign medications. Doesn't matter if you take them as perfectly as you were directed, they can still be harmful. Many drugs get approved in the USA and years later, when the FDA gets all these reports from the public about its problems, sometimes they're taken off the market. Some of them stay off some come back. Doesn't mean that the ones that come back are miraculously devoid of safety issues though. My last tip before we close is to talk to your pharmacist. In Europe, they're often referred to as chemists and druggists, but regardless of the terminology, every country typically has these drug experts available. Reach out to them. They are the true authorities when it comes to medications, as their training is specifically centered around pharmaceuticals. And as far as I checked, you don't need to pay a copay to get medical advice from one yet. This video was getting too long for me to add my personal experiences with some of these medications, so be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure to link it into the description box once it's up. Subscribers, of course, will get notified immediately. Oh. By the way, I'd be over the moon if you join our merry band of subscribers. Give me a thumbs up and leave your thoughts in the enchanted comment section. For the shy ones, feel free to hit me up by email as well. So, did you learn something today? I hope you did. I'll talk to you on the next one. Bye for now.